Well, g'day and welcome to the online ministry for St. Augustine's Anglican Church in Inverell. My name is Matt. It's great that you're joining us. This is being prepared for Sunday, the 3rd of December, 2023, as we begin our first Sunday in Advent. Uh, we begin a new series in Advent thinking about Unbelievable Christmas. Now, uh, it's unbelievable in so many ways. Uh, God's unbelievably great love for us is what we see so clearly. Let me begin our time together by sharing with you from Isaiah chapter 2. It says, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, that he may teach us his ways, and that we may walk in his paths. Uh, Well, that's our prayer for today, that God would teach us, he would feed us, and help us to live with our eyes on him. Let's kick off our time with a moment of praise. Ye faithful, joyful and triumphant, O come, ye, O come, ye to Bethlehem. Come and behold him, born the King of angels. O come, let us adore him. Oh, come, let us adore Him. Oh, come, let us adore Him in Christ the Lord. God of God, lights of light eternal, i 
Well, as we come to the ministry of God's word, let me pray. Heavenly Father, we ask that in this moment you would feed us and nourish us by your word, that through it you would cause us to grow in our knowledge of you and our trust in you, and that we would get a bigger picture for who Jesus is, especially as we lead towards uh, the advent of Christmas. Uh, Father, do this work in our hearts, we pray. Amen. Well, our Bible readings begin today with Isaiah chapter 7. You can read the whole chapter, or you might like to just read the first 17 verses. Uh, After that, our psalm for today is Psalm 46, and our New Testament reading comes from Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 through to 25. They'll be on the screen in a moment, but pause the video, have a read of those, especially Isaiah chapter 7, and we'll come back in a moment. Well, why don't I pray for us again as we come to look a little more at Isaiah chapter 7. Our Father, please be at work. Let your spirit fill us, that we might hear you speak, that we might be encouraged in our hearts, we might live our lives in full service and trust of you. Amen. Well, a Christmas season is getting into full swing. Uh, we've hit December, and I'd wager that Many of you watching have already popped up your Christmas trees. Maybe you've set lights in around the house. Maybe you've got lights outside the house as well. Perhaps you're well organized like my wife and you've got all those dozens and dozens of presents for all those many different people in your life bought and ready to wrap. Maybe you've started wrapping them already and that's great. Or maybe, like me, you just simply step outside of an evening and smell the air and go, yeah, Christmas is here. Christmas is here. Now for us at church, as we get towards this pointy end of the year, uh, we begin a new preaching series in Advent, and we're calling it Unbelievable Christmas. Now, partly because to the outside world, the story of Christmas, it, it may feel warm, but in the end, it seems at least implausible, if not totally unbelievable. But actually, we're calling it Unbelievable Christmas. Because wrapped up in this season is appointed towards something unbelievably great that God is doing in the world. In fact, something he has been doing throughout our time. Now, we're here today in Isaiah 7. And you may be, may be watching, wondering, why on earth? It's Christmas time. Why are we in Isaiah somewhere deep in the Old Testament? And the simple answer is that the Christmas story isn't a standalone story. It's part of a bigger story, part of something bigger that God is doing in the world. But another reason to spend time in Isaiah 7 is that many of us, many of us have have experiences that are in common with what they too are going through. Because for the people of this time, living 700 years about before uh, the time of Jesus they were feeling overwhelmed. I know that for many of us here, many of you watching perhaps, uh, overwhelmed is a word that starts to describe how you're feeling in life at the moment. Perhaps you're in the middle of something, in the middle of a situation that you just can't see the way out the other side of. Now, it could simply be all the pressures that, that happen in the Christmas season, all the expectations to try and deal with and manage it, all, 
all of that. Or maybe it could be real building family tension. I know for people in our church, that is true at, the, at this moment. There's a building family tension that overshadows everything else and we just don't know how to get through the other side. Or maybe that sense of overwhelming, it's, it's to do with our health, be it physically or mentally. Maybe it's to do with our work situation and our living situation or both at the same time. Like things are this way, we don't want them to be that way. We thought it would be different. We just can't see a way out. It's all a bit overwhelming. And the feeling of being overwhelmed is what we're meant to experience as we read Isaiah chapter 7. Now, as we start here in verse 1, we find ourselves just dropped in the middle of a conflict. A conflict that, funnily enough, is happening in ancient Palestine. It seems like some things never change. But as we start, I want to give you a bit of context. Because history matters, and otherwise... uh, this is all a bit confusing because there's different plays and and they're given different names at different times and they kind of change around a little bit. But, I mean, someone in our Bible study group during the week asked, this is a bit complex. I would love to see a map. And so here you are. You can see a map now if you're watching. uh, That'll be super helpful. Now, all of this is taking place in about 735 BC. And prior to this point, about 300 years earlier, There was one united nation in Israel under King David, God's Old Testament people together. But over the years, uh, things got a bit dicey. Things, the kingdom split, right? There's a fractured relationship. And so at this point in time, you have the southern kingdom and the northern kingdom. And you can see it on the map. Down the bottom, in the green, you can see Judah, a.k.a the southern kingdom of Israel, otherwise known in this story as, well, it's Judah, or the house of David, and they are being led by King Ahaz. And then above them in pink, you can see the northern kingdom, and at this point, they're they're known as Israel, or Ephraim, and they are being led by King Pekah. Thirdly, in red, we have the nation of Aram, aka Syria, and they are led by King Rezin. And then finally, we also have up in the top, uh, the right hand in blue, you have the superpower of the day. The superpower known as Assyria. Right? Now, these are the four key players that we need to know as a context to all of this. And so we read verses 1 and 2 and we see the situation is. There's a looming threat. See, Assyria at the top, they are a superpower nation and they're coming to conquer everyone. They're coming to conquer these other three places. And so... Aram and Israel, they're playing friends right now, right? They want to make a united front against Assyria and they want, they want uh, Judah to join them. And the bottom line is, they're planning on coming down and conquering Judah, that poor little one at the bottom, and putting in their own puppet king so that together they would be a three kind of pronged united force. Look at verse two. Now the house of David, right? That's Judah. They were told, Aram has allied itself with Ephraim. And so the hearts of Ahaz and his people were shaken as trees of the forest are shaken by the wind. That's what's going on. And so for King Ahaz down in Judah uh, and the rest of God's people there, this is a real problem. In fact, it's more than a problem. 
This is overwhelming, suffocating perhaps. Or as we might put it, right, they're shaking in their boots, shaking like trees, shaking in their boots, you see? Because if it's not bad enough that the threat of Assyria looms large over all of these places, now Aram and Israel are on Judah's doorstep in their face also. And for us, as we read this, we're meant to feel a sense of this dread, a sense of being surrounded with, with no way out. And some of us, we don't need to imagine too hard to know what that kind of feels like. Perhaps not in a military sense, but on a personal level. At a relational level, this might be a real live feeling for us. But listen, listen to what God says to them as he speaks into that situation through the lips of his prophet Isaiah. Verse 4, he says, Keep calm, don't be afraid, do not lose heart. God's saying to them, guys, don't worry about it. Don't worry about these other guys up there. Why? Verse 7, God says, it will not take place. It will not happen. Now, I know for us, in our specific situations, it's probably the case that God hasn't given us a direct word. When we lose heart, when we feel overwhelmed, we don't have that. But for Ahaz in the kingdom of Judah, they do. See, the Lord wants them to know that when he says something is not going to happen, it ain't going to happen. And on the flip side, for us perhaps, it's good to remember that when God says something is going to happen, it will happen. When God says something is true, it is true. What God says about you is true. And when we open his word and we see that God says to us that we are chosen, precious, a child of his, someone known by him and loved by him, someone that he uses even difficult times to grow us, then that is true. And when he says that nothing in all of creation can separate us from his love, that is also true. It ain't going to happen. All right, do you know that? Now look at the end of verse 9 then, of what God tells King Ahaz and the people. He says, if you do not stand firm in your faith, you will not stand at all. Right, the challenge for Ahaz and the people here, the people of Judah, is that when things feel hopeless, when it feels like their backs are up against the wall, when they're feeling overwhelmed, even as they see the other nations come against them, the challenge is, do you trust in God? And the challenge, the challenge that challenge to King Ahaz is the same challenge for us. When we feel overwhelmed, when we feel like things are helpless, when we feel like perhaps our backs are against the wall, will we keep trusting in God's goodness? Even when we can't see a way out? Will we keep trusting in God's goodness even when it looks like things are getting worse? Physically, mentally, relationally? Will we keep trusting in God even when we may never see the other side of it? I think that's the hard bit. Because when we feel overwhelmed, I mean, that's when the temptation is there to, to trust other things or, or other people aside from God. I feel this. And for me, I think it's most naturally, most natural to trust in myself. And yet, that statement in verse 9 is still true. 
Right? If we don't stand firm in the Lord, then anything else we try and stand in, it won't last. Other things, other people, they will fail us. In fact, we fail at ourselves. Yet, if we stand with the Lord, we'll be able to stand firm, no matter what we face. And what does it look like then to trust in the Lord? What does it look like to stand firm in Him? Well, as we keep reading, we see it means trusting the Lord with all our hearts. Or in fact, we see it through an opposite example. In verse 10, it seems that some time has passed and now the Lord speaks to King Ahaz again through the prophet Isaiah. And he says, verse 11, Ask the Lord your God for a sign, whether in the deepest depths or in the highest heights. Now, Earlier in the Old Testament, God was displeased when his people tested him, asking for signs, doubting his promises. But it's different here. It's different because God is setting the terms, and he's made specific promises. And he's telling Ahaz to ask for a sign. And what does Ahaz say? He says, no. No. I won't ask for a sign. I won't put you to the test. In short, I won't trust your word or obey you. And so it's clear at this point that King Ahaz, that he's chosen another way. Right? He's chosen to place his trust somewhere else. Ahaz is no longer trusting God as the Lord of all. And we might read this and think, why not? Come on, Ahaz. God has made all these wonderful promises. Why wouldn't you trust him? Well, there's something more here that we can't see going on. Well, in fact, we do see it if we were to turn back to 2 Kings chapter 16. Uh, there, we see that Ahaz, in this kind of in the gap, has already taken things into his own hands. He's tried to find another way around the problem, a way that is other than trusting God. In fact, what he's done, I'll summarize it for you. He's already gone to the king of Assyria. Remember that great superpower in the top right-hand side? He's gone to the king of Assyria and he's made a deal. In exchange for protection, he will hand over all the silver and gold and treasures of God's temple. He will make himself a servant to Assyria. And so, while he kind of frames his refusal to, to trust God and to test God in a positive way, while he makes it look like he's being very pious and faithful, in actual fact, saying what sounds like the right thing, doing what looks like the right thing, is actually just a cover-up for not having his heart in the right place, for not trusting God completely the way he should. And similarly, all of our words, all of our actions, heck, even the things we do in church, they mean nothing to God if our hearts aren't trusting him from their depths. If our hearts don't belong to him. Now for Ahaz, it's clear that this is not the case going on for his heart. He said no to God. He's refused to trust in God's sign and he's pushed off God's generosity. But notice in verse 14, God now promises he will give a sign anyway. But it won't be a sign to help Ahaz trust the Lord. It'll be a sign to show God's justice. Verse 14, Isaiah says to him, Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive 
and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. Now, names in the Bible, in the Old Testament, they're really important because names mean things and the name Emmanuel means God with us. And we read that and it actually sounds like a really good thing. God with us. Yes, right? Until you keep reading and see that actually uh, the sign of Emmanuel, God with us here, it's a sign that he'll be present with them in his judgment. Now, note here that uh, the word virgin in the original, it doesn't mean, uh, it's, it's a bit more ambiguous rather, in that it really means a young woman of marital age who is ready to bear children. And of course, we read this and we say, who's the kid? Who's the kid? We want to know in Isaiah's time, who is this child? And the writer of the book, he explores a few possibilities and it's, it's kind of fascinating as we, as we ponder what it is. And, but we're never, never really told for certain. Because here, I mean, the promise of a child, it's more importantly serving as a time marker. Look at verse 16. We're told that before the boy knows enough to reject the wrong and choose the right, in other words, before he gets to maturity, the land of the two kings you dread will be laid waste. Right? Firstly, the sign of Emmanuel, God with us, is a sign that he will still keep his promises. Right? Aram and Israel, they'll not only no longer be a threat, but by the time a child born in this moment, before he even enters maturity, these kingdoms above them, they'll be conquered by someone else. And historically, it's what happens. For, for, uh, for Syria, for Aram, that's three years later. And for Israel, in 10 years' time, another 10 years, that's what happens. In other words, God has kept his promise. These nations won't uh, conquer them. It ain't going to happen. God's already said it. And on top of that, verse 15 says, He, whoever this child was, he will be eating curds and honey when he knows enough to reject the wrong and choose the right. Now, eating curds and honey, is that a good thing? It sounds kind of good. No. No, we keep reading. It's actually a way of saying... It's a picture of agriculture being so devastated, the land being so laid waste that all anyone can do for food is kind of milk a few cows and, or goats and eat kind of what they find in the wild. Why is that the case? Verse 17. The Lord will bring on you and your people and on the house of your father a time unlike any since Ephraim broke away from Judah, since the kingdom split, in other words. He will bring the king of Assyria. Right? God says to Ahaz, because you rejected me, because in your heart you turned away from me, you didn't trust me. The sign of Emmanuel, the sign I'm going to be with you, is a time of judgment. And again, in the coming years, historically, that's exactly what happened. But, it's not judgment without hope. It's not without hope. You might have noticed back at the top in verse 3, when God originally called his prophet Isaiah to go and speak to King Ahaz, he said, go, take your son, Shej, Jashub with you. And we say, what's going on there? Is it work experience? No, that's not what's going on. Remember, names matter. Names have meaning. And the name Shej, Jashub means a remnant will return. Right? God said, take with you the king, your kid whose name means a remnant will return. 
And what we're meant to see here, what we're meant to see is that the sign of Emmanuel will be a sign of judgment, but not unaccompanied by a promise of hope attached to it. It's a promise that there will be survivors who return, survivors who, unlike King Ahaz, who repent and trust in the Lord. Now, I've already said that Isaiah doesn't actually tell us who that child was that's being talked about here, who's identified as Emmanuel. And in a way, it doesn't really matter back then. Time marker. But what does matter is about 800 years later, when we find the announcement that there is a greater fulfillment of the sign of Emmanuel. I want you to turn to chapter, um, excuse me, Matthew chapter 1. Matthew chapter 1, verses 21 to 23. Because there, an angel appears to a man named Joseph in a dream, and he says this about his fiancée, Mary. Right, Matthew 1, 21. She, that's Mary, will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. Then Matthew tells us, verse 22, All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. Now can you see just how big that is? Here, in the person of Jesus, born at Christmas, we have the unbelievable fulfillment of the Emmanuel sign. You see, what was, what was semi-obscured back in Isaiah is now crystal clear in the birth of Jesus. In him, in Jesus, the Emmanuel sign was true in a way of greater significance than ever before. That God has come to dwell with us. God is literally walking with the people he has made. Remember though, for Ahaz in the kingdom of Judah, the sign of Emmanuel was a sign of God's presence with them through judgment. And it's actually the same in Jesus. Look again at verse 21 here in Matthew. What did this infant, born of a literal virgin now, what did he come to do? He came to save us from our sins. Right? He came to take the justice of God's judgment that we should get for having hearts that aren't attuned to God, for having hearts that turn away from him, for not trusting him with our lives. Jesus came to take that, that judgment of God. And that happens ultimately, not at the moment of his birth, but the other end, in his death, on the cross. It's at that moment, there on the cross, that we see the unbelievably great love that God has for us. And we see it so clearly, as his own son takes what we should receive. But just like for that time in Isaiah, the sign of Emmanuel in Jesus It's also a sign full of hope and grace for those who turn in faith to God. Because when we give our lives to Jesus, trusting what he took for us, then we have true hope. We have true hope no matter how overwhelmed we feel by life in this particular moment. And it's not the kind of hope where we go, you know, I hope this happens, or I hope I get a nice present for Christmas. No, no. It's a certain and sure hope. That's what kind of hope it is. And we know it's certain because Jesus has come to deal with God's justice for you and me. That is why we know that it's our certain hope. 
The unbelievably great promise that Isaiah foreshadows and points to is that if you trust in Jesus, he has taken God's justice, God's judgment for you. That is the unbelievable news about Christmas. That is what it points to. And hey, if you're watching and and you're exploring this for the first time, the opportunity, the invitation is keep exploring. Keep watching along. Come and join us at church even so that you might know Jesus more clearly. And if you already do know Jesus, if you're watching and you're a regular, if you're part of our church family, the question might be, who could you be sharing Jesus more clearly with? Who might you bring along so that they too might come to know and experience this unbelievably great love of our unbelievably great God who has shown us his love in Emmanuel, God with us, in the person of Jesus. Why don't I pray that we would take these opportunities and that our hearts would be encouraged and that we would have hearts that long for and love the Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we lift up ourselves to you in this moment. We pray that again, through your spirit, you would be at work in us, shaping us, helping us to see Jesus clearly, helping us to appreciate what you have been and are doing in the world. Father, show us your love, that we'll be more and more captivated by who you are. And Father, help us to be people who not only see your love, but also share it. People who want others to know just how amazing you are, just how much you love us, and take every opportunity to be a salt and light in our world so that the love of Jesus might go forth, so that people might know him, and so that they might be welcomed home into your loving arms. Father, we pray that you would do this work in us. We pray this season to the glory of you and your Son. We pray it in his name. Amen. Well, we go now to another time of praise. creeping 
Well, we come to a time of prayer, and so the invitation is, pause the video. Uh, there's plenty of things that we can be praying about. We want to lift these to the Lord, and especially the people around us. We want to pray that in this season, that many would come to see, to know, and to trust Jesus. Uh, after we pray, we'll have a final time of praise. Should come to him. 
should come to Him. For the Lord is good and faithful. He will keep us day and night. We can always run to Jesus, Jesus strong and kind. said that if I fear, I should come to Him. No one else can be my shield, I should come to Him. For the Lord is good and faithful, He will keep us day Let me encourage you with, not the start, but now the end, the final words in Matthew's Gospel. I was seen today, Emmanuel, our God is with us. And hear this encouragement from Matthew 28. Before going back to be with the Father, Jesus said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Uh, Emmanuel, our God with us in Jesus never ceases to be true for those whose faith is in him. I take that encouragement into the week. We'll see you next time.